Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Damn. Now, welcome to God's house this morning. What a pleasure it is to be able to bring you the word this morning uh, on, this, on this Lord's Day. Um, a nice crowd tonight, so thank you for being here with us. Um, that said, if you've been with us, then you know that we've been in the book of Acts for a hot minute, for a long time. As we've went line through line through the book of Acts, we are still in the book of Acts. Um, it's, a good, it's a good book of the establishment of the early church, and that Paul is on yet another missionary journey. So today, our, that's what we do here. We preach scripture, okay? Uh, that's the kind of church you are. People ask me all kinds of times, what kind of church do you go to? What's a Baptist church? We preach scripture, amen? And that's what we're going to do today. So if you would, turn with me to Acts uh, chapter 21. We'll be in verses 1 through 16. And, and ultimately, the title of this sermon is, The Lord's Will Be Done. You know, when facing a difficult decision, it's hard sometimes for us to tell the difference between what God wants from us and maybe or just a helpful suggestion from a friend. I mean, it's difficult sometimes. This is maybe one of the hardest issues that we face is determining what God's will is for our lives. You know, people everywhere is ready to give you advice, right? You can go get advice from all kind of different sources, and they're ready to tell you what they think about it. But it may not be God's will for your life. So how can we tell if it's God's will or not? To know what is right, we need spiritual wisdom. We need spiritual discernment. We need to understand God's will. And Paul, he gives us a good example on how to do this and how to separate because the helpful suggestions from others versus what's truly God's will. Because honestly, people around you, they can be as sincere as they want to and tell you things, but I'll tell you this, they can be sincerely wrong. Even good people, good people who care about you, who want what's best for you, they can be sincerely wrong. So Paul knew that sincerity wasn't enough to help him decide whether to continue on this missionary journey to Jerusalem or not. So it's about 58 AD in our text, and Paul is on this third missionary journey as he goes down the coast of Israel through Asia Minor, and he visits a couple of towns. And he's on his way to Jerusalem where he is going to face sure resistance from the Gentiles, and, and, and that is where we pick up in our text today. So if you'll read with me, we'll be in verse 1. It says, the word of the Lord says this, And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kaz, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went ab- abroad and set sail. When we had come in the sight of Cyprus, Leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. From there, the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our days there ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they, they all, with their wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and we said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship and returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers. 
And we stayed, we stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. We entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Okay, go to the next slide. All this is that I just read is an itinerary of Paul's trip on his way to Jerusalem. So like, like he said, they're on a cargo ship. They started in Kaz, and they went to Rose, and then Patara, and then they set sail over here to Tyre, and then Ptolemaeus. And now, in the text, he is in Caesarea. All throughout this trip, as he goes down on this third missionary journey, he's surrounded by people who love him, who care about him, who are advising him that he shouldn't go to Jerusalem. I mean, he literally is tearing himself apart from place to place as people that he knows he probably won't see again are telling him, hey, don't go, hey, stay. And he is on his way down, and now he has arrived in Caesarea at the house of Philip the Evangelist. Um, and he has four daughters who are prophesying, and this is really where the, the climax of this text is going to take place. Those first couple of verses that I read, I'm like, God, why did you even put that in there, you know? But I think he did because he, he shows us that these are real places that really occurred in, in Scripture. And ultimately, here we are, we're about to pick up in our text, we're at Caesarea, at, at Philip's house, the evangelist. So pick back up with me in verse 10. It says, while we were staying there for many days, doesn't tell us how long he stayed there, it just says many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and he bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hand of the Gentiles. And we heard this, and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Manasseh of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Picture that. This was not abundantly evident is when this prophet comes in, Agabus. When Agabus says something, when he prophesies, let me tell you something, it comes true. And the people in the room knew that. And here this prophet comes to the house of Philip, and he goes to Paul, and he removes his belt, and he ties up his hands, and he ties his feet together. And I'm reading the text like, that was probably difficult, you know? But he ties himself up, and he says, this is what's going to happen to the man that owns this belt when he goes into Jerusalem. And immediately everybody in the whole house is screaming. Can't you just picture the scene? Philip's like, hey man, you can't go. We need you here. The churches here need you here. We need you to stay here. You can hear Philip's daughter screaming, we don't want you to die. We don't want you to die. And you could try to imagine that scene as Paul's closest friends, suicidal, don't go, begging him not to go to Jerusalem, begging him to stay, begging him not to go to Jerusalem because they know what's going to happen over there. You know, they're telling him, you've been such a great blessing to us. Please don't go. Just stay here. It's okay if you stay here. You know, if you had been in the apostle's shoes at that point, what would you have done? Maybe you would have said, okay, okay. If it, if it makes you happy and you'll stop crying and you'll stop doing that, I'll stay. But look how Paul 
responded. I love how he responded in verse 13. He says, What mean ye to weep and break my heart? For I'm ready not to be bound only, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And there must have been something about how he said it. All this persuasion, all this talking, all these things that were going on in their life. They must have, must have been some way that he said it where they just understood that this is the sovereign will of God and he's going anyways. Because look what they said in the next verse. Verse 14. The will of the Lord be done. They stopped trying right then. They said there, must, there was some resoluteness about them. He said, I'm fully submitted and I'm going. And not only am I going, I don't care if they tie me up. I'm willing to die for this. I think the important lesson that we must all learn from this is whatever the outcome may be, we must always submit to the will of God. And that begs the question, How important is the will of God to you? Some of you woke up this morning, maybe you said, this is about me. I'm going to get up at this time. I'm going to sleep in. I'm going to do this. But did you wake up and say, what's important to God that I do right now? What does God want from me today? Maybe I should have invited somebody else to church. Maybe I should have got there early and thought maybe they needed some help with something. Maybe I should have called somebody and asked that they need a ride. What would God have me to do today? And one thing that you need to understand is when someone has made a decision to follow God's will, to die to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ, there's going to be resistance. Even from some of your closest coworkers, some of your closest people, you know, you can expect resistance. Because well-meaning people often try to hold back those who are taking daily steps to follow Jesus. Don't expect people to cheer for you when you follow Jesus in a way they're unwilling to follow him. People ask me all the time, what are you doing on the weekend? Man, I'm going to be at church. I'm going to be at church Friday, Sunday, Wednesday. I'm going to raise my family in church. And they say, do you ever do anything for yourself? I can think of nothing better that I can do for myself or my family than to raise them in the house of the Lord. Expect resistance. When you you start saying, hey, I'm not going to be out after midnight anymore. I'm not going to be in a a relationship with somebody who who doesn't treat me this way. I'm not going to live with them before we're married. I'm not going to practice these things. Why? Not because any pastor told me, but that's because what God said. So expect that resistance when you've taken those steps to follow Jesus in a way someone else is unwilling to follow him. I see it on a daily basis. But like Paul, in your final analysis of of your decision-making process, we must obey God. Even when our hearts are breaking for our loved ones, even when people are, 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 that you love are telling you to do one thing, if you know that it's God's will, you do the other. You know, there's, there's somebody else that really fits right into how Paul, with full submission, went on the mission to fulfill God's work for him. And his name is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. His decision to obey the will of God at the cost of his life. He realized that challenging the racism in American society was dangerous. I'm sure people told him, if you keep talking like this, they're going to kill you. You have a family. You have a church. If you keep speaking out about this, they're going to kill you. Hey, man, you've done enough. They know who you are. Go back to your church and just stay there. Don't speak out anymore. We love you. We don't want anything to happen to you. But just before his assassination, look look at this quote that he said. I love this. It fits right along with Paul in full submission. He says, 
like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity, it has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. That's full submission. That's all in, even at the expense of his life to fulfill the the mission that God put for him, for the will that he had for him. Similar to Paul, M.O.K. followed in those same footsteps. And let me tell you something, that is contagious. 2,000 years later, I'm preaching about Paul. Martin Luther King's name will be remembered for all eternity for him standing up for what God called him to stand up for. When one person decides to obey God's will at the cost of their life, at the cost of everything, it's like a spark. It can start a fire. So that's critical that we understand that. But I guess even a bigger question is, and I hear this question all the time from people, they ask me, how can we discover God's will for us? I mean, that's critical, right? We know that there's a creator of this universe who's who's in heaven. We know that he made all that's around us and we should desire to please him. And he has a plan for each and every one of your lives. A perfect plan that he's made and preordained from the beginning of time before you were ever created. He knew your name. So how do we know what God's will is? Because you know, tragically, many people, they spend their lives trapped in an endless cycle of bad decisions. You know people like that. And bad decisions, bad choices, they always have bad results. The Bible speaks on that. It says, a man reaps what he sows, Galatians 6, 7. It also warns, he who sows wickedness reaps trouble, Proverbs 22, 8. And even Christians aren't immune from making these wrong choices. You know, I wish it was like a freeway. I said, get on this freeway, that's God's will for you. But that's not the case at all. There's endless array of decisions that have to be made as God corrects you, guides you, and moves you about to accomplish the will that he has for you in your life. Some of them are minor, you know, where I'm not going to eat after church. I know y'all are thinking that right now. But some of them are major. Am I going to take that job? Am I going to move over here? Am I going to marry that person? Is that person who I, who I should be with forever? What do you want from me in this ministry? Am I being called here? Some of these decisions that you're focused on have the tendency to change your entire life. So how can we discover God's will when we face these decisions? First thing that we need to do is commit our decision to the Lord. I don't care what your religious background is in here right now. Maybe you don't believe in Jesus. Maybe you have a little bit of Jesus, but let me tell you something. He's not hiding from you. He spoke who he is in this word. And you commit your decisions to the Lord, he will guide you wherever you are on your walk with Jesus. Make it a matter of regular prayer in your decision-making process, asking God to guide you and make his will known to you. If you get on your knees and you go to your heavenly father in honest, humble submission and you ask him what he wants from you, he will not hide from you. So the first thing that we need to do when we're seeking God's will is commit all of our decisions to the Lord. Make it a matter of regular prayer. And the second thing that we need to do is read the scriptures. Does the Bible give any direct guidance about the situation you're facing. That's what this book is for. Without this book is lawlessness. If you don't understand this book, 
you're missing out. This is our manual for how we should conduct life. This is our manual in every decision process of our life. He's preached on it. He's given us guidance, words, and he spoke on these things. I'll tell you what, go to Matthew. They're in red writing. He didn't hide anything from you. And he wants you to go to the scriptures when you're focused on making these decisions. Commit it through prayer. Go to scripture. This is how he speaks. Does the Bible give any direct guidance on your situation? How do I deal with this? Is, what does it speak on? Because the principles in the Bible, I guarantee you, you can find something that applies to yours. Even if it's the wrong thing to do, you can learn from the mistakes of others. And third, often mistaken, you know, people leave this out when they're saying find God's will, you know. You need to understand your circumstances. Understand your circumstances. You know, God isn't only working inside of us. He's also working around us. He guides us through his circumstances, through our circumstances. I'll tell you an example. Um, I was in Wisconsin. I played football there. I was defensive uh, linebacker, defensive end, big guy, about 245 pounds. I had a son my senior year of college. So I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I had a major decision where I had a bunch of credits and I, I was going to take two years to graduate. I had a son I had to provide. So I moved back. Before I went back to school, I finished all my schooling now, but I, at first I didn't. I moved back home and I said, you know what? I may join the military. <laughs> I scored really high on the ASVAB test. You know, I called the recruiter. He was super happy that I called him. I come in there and he's like, man, you did so good on the ASVAB test. I go to stand on the scale. You know, I'm thinking in my mind, I'm committed to it. I'm Top Gun Maverick. This is it. <laughs> I stand on the scale and they look at me and they say, son, you're 245 pounds. If you want to join this branch of military, you need to be 190 <laughs> No matter how much I wanted to join, no matter what in my life, the circumstances dictated that I wasn't joining the Air Force at that time. So I left. And you know, if that wasn't God's will for me. He, he worked through those circumstances. So understand your circumstances as well. Because God often speaks through those circumstances in the way that he wants you to go. Uh, fourth, you need to seek godly advice. There's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. If you don't have people that you're talking to on a regular basis that care about you, that know you, that, that know God's will, that you can go to for guidance in those times, that's a problem. Some of you are surrounding yourself with people that are nothing but the world. And they, they're ready to give you their advice like they were giving Paul the advice, but it's not God. They're sincerely wrong. They're going to come from a worldly perspective. They're not going to have your best interests at heart. Seek godly Advice. I have many counselors. Pastor Steve, uh, Brother Keith Rudy back home. He's known me for 15 years. He started me out in early ministry. He let me preach my first sermons. When I have something going on in my life, I call him and I say, what would you do? Seek godly advice because God's given some people this special gift of wisdom. And finally, we got to trust the Holy Spirit's guidance. When we honestly seek his will, God gives us an inner conviction of the way that he wants us to go. He's going to prompt you. He's going to confirm you in the way that he wants you to go. And you say, you got scripture for that? Yes, I do. Isaiah 30, 21 tells us this. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear the voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. 
Trust the Holy Spirit's guidance. I can only think that's what Paul was doing as he went down all those cities and everybody around him was telling him not to go, but he had this inner conviction from the Holy Spirit that he knew he had to go to Jerusalem no matter what, even at the sake of his life, and he trusted that God had a plan for him and he was fully submitting to that plan. Fully submitting to that plan, and that's the next point. You have to trust God for the outcome. Once God leads you to make a decision, you can't draw back. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 tells us this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. You have to trust Him. Let me tell you something. He sees the end from the beginning. He goes before you. Quit trying to change your circumstances to fit what you want to do in your life and submit to the will of God. That brings the biggest question. I've told you everything about the will of God. I told you how to find it. I told you what is, how to find his will through prayer, through scripture, through circumstances, through godly people, through the Holy Spirit. You can find his will. And let me tell you something. Here's the biggest question of the whole entire night, the whole entire morning that I'm preaching to you now is, once you find it, once he reveals it to you, How committed to doing God's will are you? It's the application of everything I said. When he reveals it to you, what are you going to do with it? You had to label yourself, this is my commitment level, I'm a numbers guy. You 80% in? 90% in? How committed to the things of God are you? What are you holding back from him? He's revealed his will for you. He reveals it just like I said that he did. You can find God's will. And when he reveals it to you, a lot of you in here have been sitting on the pew for a long time. You've been in church for a long time. I want you to think of those areas in your life that you're holding back something from him. You're saying, I- I'm all in, God, until it infringes on my lifestyle. I'm all in until you want tenth of my income. I'm all in until it says that I can't have sex out of marriage. Just, I'm all in until this one point that I just won't give up, God. I'm committed to doing what you say until it goes against what I want for my life. Let me tell you something. God has a plan for you, and it's the best plan for you. So when God reveals his will, it's not for you to waste your time deciding whether you're going to do it or not. The act of submission is full submission or nothing. Commitment to the will of God requires full submission. You saw what what they did with Paul. He went to Jerusalem, and we're still talking about him today. You see Martin Luther King Jr., we're still talking about him today because they were bought in and fully submitted to the will of God. It's like a spark that lights a fire that could change the world. He took, God took 12 regular people, fishermen, and he changed the world with them. Regular people, just like you and I. I've never been to seminary. I'm from, I'm from the backwoods of Alabama, let me tell you. Somehow God has brought me here to rightly divide this word to you this morning. He saw that you would be in here today. He knows that you have sin in your life. He knows you better than you could know yourself. And he wants you to fully submit to his will. So when God reveals it, if you don't hear anything else I said, this is the most important thing. I can tell you all day how to find it. I can tell you what it looks like in Scripture. But if you don't take what I've told you and apply it, it's no good to you. This is what matters now. When this service is over 
And as the worship team comes, this is what matters now. That you take what I've told you and you go back to your life and you identify those issues in your life that you know God told you not to do. And you submit to them. It's good to preach. It's good to rightly divide the word. It's good to pray. But when God reveals himself to you, and you know these things, and I know some of you looking at me now, I know you're, where you are in your walk with God, I know you know these things, but you're still holding back. You're holding back things from God, and you need to give it all to him. If you want to change this world, if you want this church to grow, if you want revival to start, that's what it's going to take. Full submission. All in. All in. I want you to, I want you to bow your head right now. And I want you to think of the areas in your life that you're holding back from God. I want you to think if you had to honestly, nobody's listening, you don't have to say it, but think how committed you are to God and to doing what he's asked you to do. Look, he said he had a plan for you and he's trying to give you his plan. It's the perfect plan that's going to bring peace, that's going to bring joy, that's going to bring change and you just have to let him have his way with you. He's asking for 100%. Think in your head. What number is it? 70%, 50%. Maybe you're 0% and you've never went in for Jesus. Maybe you don't know him. He invites you in today. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. He's, he's standing at the door of your heart today and maybe he's telling you, come to me for the first time. Or maybe he's telling you, hey, I know you've been an 85% Christian, but I got a better plan for you, son. Come to me. Go all in. I want you to be the change that the world needs to see. God, I pray that you convict the hearts in this room. Lord, I told them how to find your will. Dear God, reveal it to them. And when you do, God, I pray for full submission. Similar to Paul, similar to Jesus. Those standards, God, where we hold nothing back from you because it's all yours. Bless the people under the sound of my voice this morning, dear God, and help them to come to you. I want them to be in heaven, God. That's why we're here this morning. Bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.